So today I'm so pleased to say that the guest joining me for this episode of Heads Up is a very dear friend of mine, the head of Western Burt School, Natasha Dangerfield. And Natasha, welcome to Heads Up. I've really enjoyed the conversations in this series and my starting point with all of them is to ask my guests how they've got to the point where they are now. And so Natasha, perhaps tell us a little bit about your journey in education and about the, the role you have at the moment. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for having me on, uh, Matthew. It's, it's an utter delight to be with you. It's nice to chat uh, across these airwaves. I unusually, probably for a head, and certainly, uh, as was told very clearly to me when I started my career, um, I started in, in PE. I'm a PE teacher with English uh, through passion, really. I'm a lacrosse player by heart, I think. And uh, I went across from PE teaching into the pastoral route very quickly into housemistressing, which I think is probably my favourite job. And then went through from housemistressing into pastoral care leadership and then on to headship. I've done a little circumnavigation of the UK, starting uh, in Oxfordshire and then working all the way up to the north of Scotland at Gordonston for a little while, coming back down through Yorkshire in Harrogate and finishing at the moment at, at Westenburg, where I am delighted to be leading this fantastic school in the middle of the most beautiful spots, I have to say. So yeah, we, we've, we've been on a journey, a pastoral journey though, and I think leadership, uh, certainly through my experiences in my own sport and through the opportunity to take uh, children through their own leadership journeys in houses uh, and house mistressing has given me this opportunity to look in at the headships so I'm here now, Western Bird. I think I think you and I share that passion for pastoral care. I, I think it, it's interesting. The the first time I ever had just a a single role was my my role as deputy head pastoral at, at Our Ladies in Abingdon. Up until then, I'd always had both an academic and a pastoral. But anyone that knows me will tell you that pastoral runs through yeah. through my veins. And I think actually having having that approach does bring a different aspect to you as a head. And I think also there's a, a credibility that you have, and hopefully I have, around the fact that we've probably done pretty much every job within a school. And so when, when as, a, as a senior leader, as a head, whatever it may be, when you're asking staff or students to do things, that they know that you've been there and done it yourself. There's a, there is a credibility there and an understanding that you appreciate it. Oh, I completely agree. And I think in our, the way I think we lead similarly, uh, that we do need to be able to demonstrate that too. I will still pick up a number of different roles along the way if we need a, a last minute uh, hand in something, or I am still very prepared to pick litter up off the floor as well. I think <laughs> demonstrating all of those to your, to the people that you're leading is really important, isn't it? But particularly to the students, yeah. to show them that, that that's what it looks like. Absolutely, but pastoral care, foundation of everything that we do, be it a boarding school or a day school, you still need that that, that essence about the leadership. Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I think there was that, it certainly doesn't exist now, but there was certainly that adage previously that you were either pastorally strong or academically strong. And I know you and I both believe that actually that doesn't need to be the case. And actually, if you have the pastoral systems in place, that's when the academics come in. And, you know, schools like yours and mine with the value added that we do, the results that we secure is testament to the fact that if you do have the pastoral in place, the yeah. academics will come. Whereas if, you're, if your focus is solely on the academics, it's, it's a dangerous route, I think. I, I completely agree. We, we thrive on our mantra that we are a greenhouse, not a hothouse. 
and and that is that is all about what we produce as a foundation for these young students to, to sort of branch up from so yeah absolutely i read that from you recently and i stole it in a recent open morning that we did so i take i took full credit for it <laughs> at least now i'm being honest <laughs> let it be known here it was our <laughs> fact, i didn't even say it it was a previous headmistress it's <laughs> doing the rounds <laughs> in this in this episode we're, we're kind of focusing on um the, the fourth industrial revolution and as, as we sit here in, in 2021, we're, we're on the brink of a technical revolution. And I think certainly events within the last year have certainly altered the way that we live, the way that we work, but also the way that we relate to one another. And I think probably because of the pandemic, the speed of this has just been immense. And I suppose the question for us though is, is how this will unfold. And I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I, I think it's, this is something that I was, that was put to me a couple of months ago, you know, what are your thoughts on the fourth industrial revolution? And I have to say, I slightly sat back on my, on my seat and thought, what is the, are we in it? Are we doing it? What's going on? Why don't I know about that as a head enough? Why aren't we talking about it um, with the children? So I, I have committed myself to doing quite a bit of research and ongoing and, and developing some sense of curriculum about it, which we'll come back to later, but it's unfolding as we speak, Matthew, and I think that's that's the, the, the biggest thing, and actually people are already talking about a fifth revolution, and so I think one of our important, you talk about the brink, we're standing on the brink, there is a, a great quote by um, Klaus Schwab, who says, we stand on the brink, and I'm going to quote it, I've written it down, of a technology revolution that will fundamentally alter the way that we work, but more about the way we, re we relate to one another and so we're there we're in it uh, we, the research that's been going into the what is the fourth industrial revolution started a couple of years ago and certainly within uh, davos looking at the uh, the world economic forum there's plenty of journal room now that's come from 18 and 19 moving in to to, to where we are now in, in 2021 so we're right in it uh, and it is unfolding as we speak and I think it has been heightened and certainly that the speed that we're now having to look at it moving through has been, uh, the pandemic has definitely uh, increased. And actually it's not just the, the, the pandemic, the, the noises that are being made from the environmental areas of the world, you know, David Attenborough is constantly telling us every time he makes another program, what are we doing for the planet? So the way that we can live within the world and the impact of the pandemic has put a huge speed on making this, this revolution uh, operate. And, and how we then respond to that is exactly what we need to be talking about in schools now. So that's suddenly, um, my, my thoughts are, are we doing enough? Are we talking about it? I really don't think we are. There are reasons for that. And is it unfolding? Absolutely. We're, we're, I, I sort of fear they're gonna start talking about the fifth before we've even understood the fourth as educators. I think, I think you're so right, and, and you kind of alluded to it. What, what's clear to me is that our response to this needs to be integrated. It needs to be together and, and also comprehensive. And, you know, to use that terrible jargon, involving all, all stakeholders. And I think you're right to say that I don't think we're in that position yet. I don't think we've reached that point. And, you know, one of the things that I'm really proud of with St Edwards, we're part of the Cheltenham Education Partnership. And we have this within the schools, what we've got at the moment, it's manifesto for change. 
and we've got students in all of our schools meeting every couple of weeks to talk about how they want education to look, what they would like to see covered, what's important to them. And I have a slight way in because one of my daughters is <laughs> represents um, St Edwards as part of that. So I do get a brief a briefing every time they have that. But there's this perception that what they want and what they think is important isn't or we don't feel the same or we're not having those conversations with them. And I it, it's not the same, but I, I did an assembly last week in school about the way that women are treated and, and violence with women. And it, it provoked a really strong reaction. Um, and I'm glad it did, but it was clearly something that was important to the, the young ladies that we have here at, at St Edwards, but we've got, you know, great female staff. We've got, you know, I've got a, I've got a wife, I've got two daughters. We're, we're all touched by this, but actually by not challenging, by not talking about it, Actually, just by talking about it, we've got student. I have got a card on my desk, which the sixth form gave me the next day, thanking me for doing that. And you, and you think, actually, yeah, it's the right thing to do. But they obviously thought about it before, but didn't feel that they either had the voice or the opportunity to, to do it. And I think that's really important. And I, I think if you, we need to create these opportunities for children to be invested in their own development. And, and I think one of the that the biggest parts of, of the conversation linked to the fourth revolution is if we look at when the first, second and third have happened, we're looking hundreds of years apart, you know, a hundred years between each, middle of the 1700s, the first began, middle of the 1800s, the second, middle of the, um, the, the you know, 1960s that the third in, in theory began, 2020, you know, it's 50 years since that began, the speed at which the change is coming is taking over the generations too quickly. So we're not, we are, I don't believe in our generation, are ready to have those discussions because it's come about us quite quickly, but the children are. And I think we need to give them a platform and an understanding of what this looks like for them beyond up uh, so that we can give them the opportunity to start reaching towards things that we are not creating the opportunities for. Um, and that fusion that, that, that you referred to, you know, it's taking that those, those lines of what this revolution looks like, they were very distinct before you know, the, the electronics, um, it was the water and steam creating the, 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 the mechanization for the first, you know, this is, this is a physical opportunity, this is digital, these are the, bio, the, the biological worlds, they're all coming together. Um, and they're giving this opportunity to create an improvement in the way that we live as human beings and indeed how the world can then behave and look after itself as far as the environment is concerned. But we've got to give these children a platform to have those conversations. It's more than the David Attenborough programmes, which start the conversation. It goes way beyond that. But what we're looking at, and I think I'm hoping that we'll come on to it in a minute, is we're still doing the same GCSE programs, we're still running the same A-level programs, and the curriculums aren't changing enough to promote that opportunity to talk. And we can put as many extracurricular programs around what we're doing, but we still don't have that time to create big, a big enough change incentive in the children. So if we're intending to combine these conversations that these children are having in order to provide us as adults now with a lifetime that we want we've got to create these chances for children to start stepping up out gazing away from the, the this same old platform that they've had and, and give them the opportunity to look out 
and beyond that to make these these opportunities happen for them. I am um, I in, in preparation for this. I it was nice. I'm a student of history. I have history, history at A level. I absolutely loved it. So it was it was nice for you to take me through the first, the second, and the third industrial revolution. It was it was good I mean, to do that. But I, I think you know. I think looking at it, the fourth industrial revolution is, is kind of building on the third. Yeah. But the digital revolution that we've talked about has been occurring since the middle of the last century. It's not it's not there. And that fusion that we talked about is there. But what what makes the fourth industrial revolution unique, do you think? I think that it's turning a circle. The, th the previous three um, revolutions have looked at alternative sources to producing something. This revolution is bringing it back, back, back around to human beings. So we're trying desperately to use the efficiencies that we've got of the technologies that we're creating and are building from the third, indeed, in, even from the first, but, but, but building on that, but, but bringing it around to really support humankind and kind being really important here. It's about how we are now blending the ability for you you cannot create nuance in robotics um, in the sense that you can't create something that is going to be empathetic going to show um, an ability to communicate is going to uh, understand what um, empathy and stewardship and citizenship mean necessarily they are still human characteristics that have got to carry us forward but creating efficiencies to support above and beyond that is really important the other thing that's really unique about this is that speed that we talked about before. It, you know, this is happening. It, it's happened within a generation. Uh, and that's really important because understanding for children to even understand perhaps of the first, second and third revolutions, I, I, unless they've actually studied it as part of their curriculum, they might not have even recognised those. And now they're in a, a major shift change and we don't have our timeline is limited. You know, we're told 2050 from an environmental position is a big move for us if we don't move um, ourselves in advance of that. So there is a timeline to this one. And, and I think, therefore, we are unique in the sense that it's it, the speed at which it's happened has been significantly faster than the other three. But the time in which we've got to adjust and bring the agility to that change has got a finite point if the environment is going to do what it's suggested. Um, it will do so that that makes it significantly unique yeah I, th I think the other interesting thing around speed is 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 kind of the, the disruption that is caused it, it, it's almost disrupting every industry in every country and perhaps in the past it wasn't that case and and so you know countries are having to maybe think about changes in in production and management and governance and all of those things and i think that's also something that's that's really quite interesting around this is that it, it, it genuinely impacts on everybody, wherever you are. And positively and negatively. Yeah. We're looking at the global markets and how Britain is now gonna reopen or, or it has an intent to with its new competitive documents. But, but we're looking at defense strategies that are going to have to combat these new technologies. So not only is, it, is there an opportunity for positive change, that the negative change in the way that we're going to now look at defence around that it, it, it is going to be something that we've got to be very carefully minding. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with, with the three that preceded it, one of the things that's also an opportunity, I suppose, with the fourth is the potential to raise income levels and improve the, the quality of life around the world. But 
thinking about it, those that have kind of gained so far have really been those that have been able to afford it and access the digital world. So, you know, technology is great. It's made possible new products and new services, and, and it's great that we do that. You know, ordering a, a, a taxi, booking a flight, buying a product, listening to music, buying something, you know, it's really easy to do because it can all be done remotely, but not everyone can do that. And I suppose you kind of touched on it, but what do you think are some of the challenges or drawbacks to this? Well, you, you, you've identified the first, and that's that's finance, isn't it? Because, of course, not everybody can afford the, the, to, to develop in the same way or at the same time. And, you know, we have a responsibility. A number of nations around the world have a responsibility to support nations in order to promote a development that will allow at least some parity around the world. But not least that, we look at our own country and how can we provide the parity just within the schools? So... We've observed, haven't we, with the pandemic, that a number of schools that haven't had the access to the technology in order to deliver online lessons. Although there was a, a relative response to that, it still, it still wasn't equal for all. And so you're absolutely right. Unless we put the finance in to support the requirement for change or the adaptability that we need to demonstrate, then we're going to struggle. We're also, we have got that dehumanization factor, increasing the amount of technology that we put into our lifestyles as head teachers, you and I battle on a probably still a daily basis uh, with put your mobile phone down. You don't need it for this lesson. You don't need it to have that communication. Come and tell me. So we're still having to battle that ability for children to recognize when a face to face conversation is possibly more important um, or more valuable than, than communicating online. So dehumanization is a really important element to that and understanding how we can take the technologies to enhance what we're doing but not to necessarily replace everything we do. But that's where those characteristics of the human are, are so important, empathy, stewardship, citizenship, et cetera. And, and time, again, you know, we're, we're being overtaken very quickly um, by the environment, but we're being very overtaken very quickly by technology. How can we keep up if we can't afford to keep up in the first instance? So, so time and finance and that, that concept of what does it look like if we're using technology on a regular basis? I think those three things are challenges to us. And as if we bring that into a school context, how we educate these children is, is the battle for us. What do we help them understand? What does dehumanization mean in relation to technology? How do they understand that? How are they utilizing technology um, in a really positive way? Where are we giving them those support factors for saying, you know, actually we've upskilled children enormously in, in eight months, over a period of eight months. Crikey, did we ever expect as teachers, head teachers to be delivering what we've delivered? No, but we were forced to make a change. Children were forced to adapt, which we know they're very good at, not that they always like it, but they've adapted so quickly to an online platform that we know it's there. So, so let's keep that going, but let's help them understand what this means and help them understand how the enhancement to their life goes beyond becoming overly efficient or so efficient that you don't have this operating anymore, which becomes quite scary. I love that word enhancement. And we've, I've talked about that with the leadership team here. You know, we, we've talked about what, what lessons, what practices have we done in the last year that we feel have enhanced what we've done and therefore we'd like to carry on. But you know what, there's a long list of things that we definitely do not want to be doing and carrying on because of this. And 
that word enhancement is really important because I think there are aspects of what we've provided that have helped with efficiency, have helped our parents connect more with us and us to be more flexible with them and then to be more flexible with us. But ultimately, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, I was speaking at a conference in Beijing and the, the premise of this conference was around, you don't need teachers, you don't need schools because everything can be done remotely, everything can be done with AI. And, and I was a sole voice, as you can imagine, <laughs> with that audience by saying, actually, education is one of those where you do need that relation you know the relationships that you build and you have the opportunity to practice during your education stand you in good stead for those jobs and interviews and everything else that comes later and it's not to say you know that we don't want technology blimey we've embraced technology like in no other way um certainly in the last year but it doesn't it can't replace it can enhance but if we if we start using it to replace everything i think we actually are in danger of losing yeah. what is at the heart of a good education absolutely and and creativity you know this is a characteristic of a human being that sets us apart from anything else in the world you, you know we are the ones that have got to create in order to produce now we can we can create something on our 3d printers but fundamentally we've designed that previous before we put we before we plug it in and set it off so we've got to retain that creativity within our in our pupils you can't replace that you're absolutely right but we can enhance that by giving us structures and systems in order to do, do that for us but you still got to find that 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 route um, of where that begins and so if we can inspire children to understand what that can look like if they put it to good practice, then then surely you and I can then sit back on our um, head rocking chairs at some point and feel that we're going to be very well looked after. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about the, the fourth industrial revolution, and, I, and I've, I suppose I've been forced to do a little bit in terms of preparing for today. My, my biggest fear, and we've, we've talked about it, is around inequality with this. And growing inequality is something I, I am worried about. I suppose my hope is that moving forward, talent rather than capital will represent um, a critical factor in terms of moving forward, in terms of production, management, leadership, whatever it may be. So I think there's there's a real opportunity for us, you know, leading the schools that we lead to to provide those opportunities for those students who who are talented, who maybe may not necessarily come from the backgrounds or families who can access the, the wonderful all-round education that, that we provide. And I think that presents a, a challenge for us, you know, because it is challenging times for everybody, mm. you know, in, in terms of, of independent education, the issue of affordability, various other things around that. But what do you think this, the fourth industrial revolution means for and we've talked about this around creativity the education sector generally but perhaps more specifically the independent education sector the education sector currently creates a program that ultimately finishes with a GCSE and an A level or goes down an IB route which could be argued that it has a slightly more creative flair to it but we are still following that program of of education we're not changing that so we have a parity across all of our schools in the sense that we're all heading in the same direction and the children will be assessed in the same way. 
Does that, and I think this is a question for us as educators, but perhaps more directed at those in the government that can make that change, does that create the best pools of talent that we need for the direction that we're headed? Um, one would say probably not now because we haven't changed that system. We put more rigor in it. Thank you very much, Mr. Gove. We did quite a significant shift change a few years ago, but, but did it really look up and out at what's coming, what, what that fourth industrial revolution is heading towards? I don't think it did necessarily. So I think there are other ways of supporting and developing talent in schools than perhaps we are quite restrained in having to take ourselves forward with I, I think there are there are there is definitely a restraint on, on what we all do because we all have to head in a certain direction um, unless we're very brave and there are certain schools that are doing that and perhaps maybe we've got to start taking a little bit of notice about what other schools are doing as far as giving that talent pool an opportunity to develop so I think probably we need to think about that. We also then need as an independent sector to think about what those partnerships looks, look like. And actually to be fair to the independent sector, um, supported hugely by the ISC, we've been working at those school partnerships to help develop uh, and deploy some, uh, some support in, in schools in, in various different um, connections to allow us to, to share our ideas across the school groups actually. But perhaps we've got to look more carefully at that. But, but, but I think we've got to be more precise in what we're doing and why we are doing it. And I think those conversations have got to begin. Uh, I know there are some various groups now, some futures groups that are looking ahead, but I think we've got to start those conversations quite quickly. Because as we, say, as we said earlier, this is time limited. And if this is time limited, we can't take a long time to make a decision. We really have got to start looking at this and, and looking forward more rapidly for the, for the children that we are expecting to support because those companies are starting now. 9% of companies are using advanced technology. 9%, still not very many companies around the world that are using advanced technology. We need to be pushing children in to be pushing that advanced technology up so that actually this revolution can happen a little bit more quickly. Listen, Natasha, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I know it's precious yeah, um, and I, I always appreciate the opportunity to speak to you, um, but it's been nice today to do it on a, on a really interesting topic. And it's clearly something that we're all going to need to get to grips with quickly. And I know that your thoughts, your opinions will have had an impact on those listening on this podcast. So thank you very much. May I take this opportunity to wish you and the entire Western Burke community the best of luck for this year, but also in future years. Please do take care, stay safe, and, and thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you.